A statement from Cardinal DiNardo, May 29th, 2020. The bishops of Texas recently issued a message of prayers and condolences to the family of George Floyd for the events in Minnesota earlier this week. I want to add my own pastoral concern as George Floyd grew up in Houston. Many of his family and friends are still here, and I speak my own sorrow for his death. I also want to ask for the renewal of action that leads to the end of racism. This reality still lingers in our society today, even in Houston. We must continue to work to end this scourge on society. This episode of Beyond the Bolton is a conversation about one man's experience of growing up and living as a black American in Houston, Texas. His experience is specifically viewed through the lens of his Catholic faith. This episode is not the solution to racial injustice. It is an opportunity to stop and listen to one man's experience. Ladies and gentlemen, to Beyond the Bulletin, your weekly St. Anthony of Padua podcast, I am joined, as always, by the handsome and perfect Stephen Lenahan. How are you, Stephen? I'm just glad you finally admitted it. I know. <laughs> you are the man. Yeah. You are the man. Thank you, the man, Lenahan. Uh, so, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm excited. I've been doing a lot of mental gymnastics in my head all week. Leading up to this conversation uh, that we're going to have on today's show, obviously this week, the, uh, the past, it's been more than seven days now, a week and a half, I guess, yeah. uh, has been uh, tumultuous, crazy, everything in our country. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about racial injustice and what that looks like. Uh, in the context of a, a Catholic worldview, because yeah. there's a lot of different commentary about this right now um, that, you know, from different angles, but we wanted to take specifically the Catholic worldview and talk about that. And I think one of the things that inspired me this week, and I wanted to share this to kind of open it up before we bring on our guests, um, was, uh, so years ago when I was in youth ministry, uh, I was working for the Steubenville Youth Conferences, uh, you know, all around the country, uh, and would meet kids from different uh, backgrounds. And I met this kid, uh, his name was James, and he now goes by Jim, but he uh, he ended up being a student at Notre Dame, and we stayed in touch through social media. Cool. Um, and he graduated from Notre Dame. He's now in law school at the University of Georgia. But he posted something earlier this week that I thought was just really striking about why this all matters right now to us in the Catholic context. And what he posted was he reposted was the University of Notre Dame put out this famous picture of their former president, Father Hesburgh, walking um, hand-in-hand with Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, I guess, I think the picture might be from Selma. I'm not exactly sure about the history of the photo. But he reposted this post from the university, and then he added his own commentary to it. And I thought this was really striking. He said, as as an uh, alum of Notre Dame, he said, the first time I saw Notre Dame post this picture, I thought it was really cool. The second time I saw it, I still thought it was really cool. The third 1,000th time I saw Notre Dame posted in response to each and every time we were reminded that black Americans face a systematic institutional barrage of hate and violence, I started to wonder why they didn't have anything else to post. It's time for a school that prides itself on being on the right side of history to actually join the right side of history. Let's get some pictures of Notre Dame administrators on the front lines of the civil rights protests in 2020 so that current and prospective students aren't consistently reminded that we haven't done anything worth photographing since 1964. Yikes. Yeah, that was uh, it was a civil rights photograph take a civil rights rally at Chicago's Soldier Field in 1964. That's where that famous image was. Okay, so it wasn't from Selma. 
And um, yeah, and, and it is interesting. So let's introduce our guests and then we can go uh, and introduce the topic too. Yeah, I think people know what the topic is, but we are so excited uh, today to have a special guest who, um, he's not just a guest of the show, but he's a friend uh, to both Gomer and I. Um, Houston, introduce yourself. Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Houston Acoma. I'm a seminarian of the uh, Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Entering into my seventh year of seminary, seventh and last. Uh, ordained a deacon pretty soon and a priest in uh, maybe like a year and two days or something like that. Hey, can I tell uh, you how excited I am that you did not say God willing? I was when you gonna said say ordained it. a priest. Because every time I was like, and God willing, God I'll willing be a deacon. A and God willing, I'll be a priest. And it's like, yeah, I think you're kind of banking on him not willing it. Uh, no, but that's awesome. So you're going to be ordained a deacon sooner. It's true. So you're going to be ordained to, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we're putting him on the express route. Um, yeah. Actually, that's what happened to Father Paul. If you know Father Paul Costco, they made him a deacon in like February and then a priest in May. Um, but when, when are you going to be, uh, be ordained a deacon? When is that? When was that happening? Uh, I'll be ordained a deacon June 26th. Uh, we're still that's waiting awesome. on updates. Uh, the priestly ordinations will be this weekend. Uh, so we're just trying to kind of sort of see how well that one goes before. Will that be at the? Will that be at the Co Cathedral? Yeah, it will be at the Co Cathedral, and there's uh, attempts to to make a live stream available. Uh, awesome. so I'll give him I'll Jay's email, email address uh, so yeah. we can help him out with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so how you been? You are at uh, Saint Oh Man Saint Faustina's Parish, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. I was like, Saint Divine Mercy. Oh, gosh. What's her name? I totally <laughs> forgot her name the other day. That was embarrassing. So what are you up to right now working at that parish? Uh, so this is my second week at the parish. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, kind of get to know yous in the parish, seeing how the regular day works. Um, mm -hmm. It's the, the, uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, seeing just how the regular uh, flow of the day kind of sort of happens, getting to know the staff, getting to know who works for us. Uh, getting to know the prominent members, people that you see uh, often on a day-to-day -day basis, those kind of things. Gotcha. Uh, just kind of sort of getting to know uh, my feel, getting to understand what the uh, the mission of the parish is and how we go about fulfilling it. Yeah, and have you have you have you told Father Dat who your favorite parish is in the archdiocese? I sure have not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, he'll find out because we all know. We all know up here at him. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, uh, we're really pumped for you to get ordained a deacon later this month. That's super yeah. exciting. Uh, I know that everyone up here in the Woodlands is praying for you. Um, and everyone definitely misses you up here. The, the new seminarians that have come in this summer, they have uh, big shoes to fill um, and, and following in your tracks up here. So we're yeah. excited for you, man. And the church definitely needs you now more than ever. So Let's dive into it. Uh, a lot's happened in the last week. It's been difficult on so many different levels. I think every uh, American has a different emotion, has a different experience. Um, but I think what today is really all about in this conversation that we want to have is less about Gomer and I talking and more about us listening. Um, and Lord knows that Gomer and I, I don't listen to anyone. Yeah. If you, <laughs> so this is Hercules. This you is ask our wives, we're not good at listening, but we're going to, we're going to do our best, uh, because we want to hear, we want to hear from you. What, what has been your experience? Um, I guess first, first question is what has been your experience in the last week? Um, with all that's happened since George Floyd was, was murdered in Minneapolis. Um, 
And, and then what has been your experience growing up? I mean, I want to hear straight from you. We've never really talked about that. Um, we didn't talk about it when you were here for your seminarian year. I don't know if we should have. And if we should have, I apologize. Um, but uh, I just wanted to hear kind of what your experience has been um, as an Afri- African-American male in the last week first, and then also from the Catholic perspective. Um, you know, to be honest, it's, it's been a sad week, really. Um, just to see another fella being uh, killed uh, for no reason. And I say for no reason uh, quite directly because, sure, he was being arrested or whatever have you, brought upon uh, certain charges that he could have been guilty of or could have been innocent of. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the chance to actually investigate that particular crime, not that it matters. Um, what does matter is the fact that, um, unfortunately, um, an officer decided to take a step further in the apprehension process, uh, further than he needed to, uh, and three of his comrades didn't uh, step in to try and stop the injustice. Um, it's unjust simply because we can see from our the natural law written in every heart that was that action necessary? Was it needed? Uh, and I would say that it, it, it wasn't. You know, uh, asphyxiating a guy uh, and allowing him to suffocate by kneeing him for eight minutes, uh, I think that's what the number was. Uh, it's inappropriate. And I, I remember seeing that even if it had medical conditions, uh, doing that on any person who could possibly uh, kill them and will possibly kill them. So it's a great deal of sadness uh, for me and from my, on my behalf. Uh, a lot of justifications being had over the last week that doesn't necessarily need to be had. Uh, and I'm glad that there's at least a more positive direction towards uh, just making sure that we're accountable uh, to our offenses, and particularly with the uh, police officer that was charged. Um, and look, what you did was wrong. What you did was uh, blatant. Um, and what you did shouldn't happen again. Uh, and now you must suffer the consequences. Yeah. Personally, I feel a lot of sadness from it. I wish it never happened. Uh, but I see it happen all too often uh, where justice isn't served uh, to, for those who are wrong, for those whose lives have been taken prematurely, and those who didn't have uh, the ability to defend themselves. Uh, more so, the, the Catholic population at least of uh, African-Americans, are saddened as well. They feel as if their voice and their opinions, their their cares uh, aren't being heard. They're not really understood. And this is just another uh, bump on the road that we just kind of sort of have to swallow like another pill and move about life uh, doing, living in fear in a sense and trying to kind of sort of protect ourselves and live another day and try to be as best and as positive and as fruitful as possible. Um, growing up, I'm, first of all, I'm Nigerian-American, born and raised in Houston, Texas, uh, to uh, parents that both came from Nigeria, got married, had me, I'm the oldest of four siblings. Uh, growing up, uh, we were taught to uh, be the best person you can be, period. Uh, we strive, we, is, we value um, uh, places of honor, um, places in which we are able to give back to society, places in which we are uh, uh, dignified and not brought down, 
places in which we're not bringing shame upon the family. Uh, so it's important to sort of always have a, a great moral aptitude, something that you continue to strive in. That's part of the cool Catholic dynamic. Uh, it's kind of sort of what natural law is. You know, no one wants to be a bad apple. A lot of the times you see that it's because a person feels as if it's the necessary thing to do, the necessary thing to survive or to remain great or to thrive, and they're not given any other option. Uh, so going to DeBakey High School and then to the University of Houston, uh, my goal was to always try and be as best as I can uh, to achieve and grow and possibly be a doctor one day. Uh, God derailed that a long time ago. You're not going to be a doctor. <laughs> You're going to be doctor. a priest. Spiritual doctor. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be a spiritual doctor. Physician uh, of soul. <laughs> it's the Holy Ghost. Um, you got you to gotta really cut out the Holy Ghost impersonations. They're terrible. What, right. even with the arms? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right, go on, go on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all of that was still on the back burner. We used to have a Catholic family going to Mass every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, four altar servers. Um, uh, just kind of serving mass and doing just doing what we need to do to uh, have a, a great lifestyle built upon built upon Christian values, Catholic values, uh, and doing what it takes to succeed. Uh, and in a Nigerian um, mindset, that's either in medicine, law, or engineering, nursing, and all the health uh, professions that come along with it. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, I won't say that it's easy. Uh, growing up Nigerian, we we look like people who don't ha necessarily have the same cultural values, uh, like the quote-unquote normal African-American that we would see on the street, whose ancestry uh, and roots in the United States extend far beyond 30, 40 years. Um, you know, we look like them. We, 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 we can identify with some of the similar things. Sometimes our music is quite similar. So we uh, Nigerian Americans would try to adapt to that. Like we appreciate that kind of culture. We see you and say, okay, you are my brother, right? There's no difference. Um, to the outside person, we, there might not be a difference at all, but to us, we say, okay, well, you know, I respect you for who you are. I, I anticipate that you respect me for who I, I am. And we can share some level of brotherhood because of that. Uh, same way to the outside world. My dad always taught, and preached uh, the message that you would expect a father uh, to teach his children uh, as far as you know, how to live a life in this world. Uh, unfortunately, that life also meant the possible dangers that you may be abused or hurt or racially profiled. And it's an extremely, extremely um, uh, visceral reality that you have to live in. Mm. Uh, never ever share this this uh, story thought or idea but even in, when going to the woodlands um if i'm going down 1488 or whatever have you um i might think to myself okay well what time is it houston uh, are there a lot of people on the road or you're the only guy on the road if you get pulled over uh is there a, a saint anthony of Padua decal that you can have right not everyone knows coma, right yeah, uh, yeah if i happen to be pulled over I pray to God that I'd be able to see my mother or call her the next day. Uh, and that's a huge reality. There are places that I have to think of twice, like knowing me, a guy that I don't mind going anywhere or any, I can go through any height or depth just to see a person or visit an individual. 
but I'd have to think twice of going to a place like an Arkansas. You know, what happens to people uh, that look like me if they're pulled over and they could be possibly racially profiled? Something that gives me a little bit more resolve is uh, my last name, quite frankly. I might think, oh, okay, Houston Okoma. Well, that name is kind of odd. So if someone is uh, checking my license plate, if the police is checking my license plate, um, they can kind of easily navigate and see, okay, well, what kind of car is this guy driving? And neighborhood does this guy come from? Um, what kind of name is that? It looks different. Oh, maybe I can take him. You know, those are the kind of things that come through my mind. And I think of myself, well, maybe I'm not a threat. And I might smile and double down on my smiling and politeness just to make sure that tomorrow I can call my mother. Mm. Fortunately, I haven't been pulled over in a really long time. Uh, but whenever I'm going through uh, tougher areas, uh, n- areas that are notorious for potential racial profiling. That's exactly what comes through my mind. So I don't even tell my dad where I'm going uh, simply because he might be afraid of what can potentially happen to his son. Wow. Uh, so when we think of that and we think of those kind of sort of extenuating aspects or ideas or notions, we think of, okay, well, what is it that causes that level of fear yeah. and possible yeah. trepidation right like i i'm well, you guys know that i'm not a threat uh, to anybody or anything um you know all i want to do is to serve christ the body of christ and serve as its head oh why thank you uh, <laughs> I, I don't seek to be uh, um, a threat right but you know if i were to walk if i were to talk uh, I certainly could be, or I could certainly look like one, or I may look like I'm in the mode of trying to attack when uh, I'm trying to express myself, those kind of things. And it may not be Houston Ocoma, of course. It could be my brother. It could be my dad. It could be uh, my son, if I were to ever have one. It could be an uncle. It could be a friend that I grew up with. All these things kind of sort of come to mind. Um, When I think of my brother, uh, when the uh, when we started seeing like an uh, elevated um, attention towards these atrocities in the modern time, like with Trayvon Martin, I remember exactly what I did whenever I heard of the case. Uh, I told my little brother, next time you go driving, next time you're walking, if you dare wear a hoodie, I will come up and I will slap you and I'll slap that hoodie right off your head. Yeah, because I do not want there to be any accusation against you such as to justify why you're not in this world anymore yeah and which is ridiculous it's <laughs> it ridiculous is. i've never yeah. i've never even i've never even thought about not putting a hoodie on when i feel like putting on a hoodie or putting a hoodie on one of my little boys or you know like that's just insane yeah, yeah. and your version of a tougher neighborhood is the exact opposite <laughs> like i gotta go to the woodlands i gotta get my game plan together and i'm like i'm in the woodland well right? and even like, like it's and, and I, I was sorry to interrupt you for a second uh houston yeah um but when you gave the example of like driving down 1488 in the woodlands like i was thinking about you know like when ann and i had you over to our house for dinner with the boys and like that was dinner time and you know you were there hanging out uh playing with our, our boys rolling cars on the floor with them all this sort of thing it never even occurred to me like is there a risk for Houston coming over to my house for dinner 
and then returning back home to the church when you lived up here. It's just like, it's, it's mind numbing when you put it into that context. Yeah. And, and it almost, it's almost a little bit, in, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but it, it's just something that's never been on our radar or, and it doesn't they, have to be it on our radar. Have to be on our radar, and I think that that's that's what is yeah. is happening right now in the country. We've we've had these things happen so many times now that it's like, what is it going to take for people to realize how acute of a pain this is within the African American community? And and uh, so I guess my, my I have a question for you. Another question for you is, you did live up in the woodlands for a year, and the woodlands is you know. Uh, predominantly upper class it's there's a you know it's is a a somewhat diverse community but maybe not as much as like in harris county Um, you know fort bend county is the most diverse county in america that has sugar land right in america but um you know here it's we don't have quite as big an indian population and a southeast asian population in the woodlands a lot of it is the the oil company business that brings in you know more of the latino population right so our a a big chunk of our diversity comes from oil producing nations and nigeria being one of the chief in the world so we do have a a a significant nigerian population here in our so what would you i guess the question is what would you want like those of us that live in the woodlands the the parishioners up here to know about how they can be involved as Catholics? Like what, what should they be praying about? How could they be involved? What, what is the message? What is the end goal of, uh, you know, ending systemic injustice that's been happening in our nation for generations now? How do, how do we even begin to reconcile that one here in our community of, you know, the Northern suburbs of, of Houston, um, but also just as Catholics in general, because you talk about, you know, minorities. And then when you look at the Catholic church in America specifically, not the Catholic church on a global level, but African-Americans are even more of a minority within the Catholic church in America. Um, You know, most major cities may have one, like one or two parishes that are predominantly African-American, but otherwise in your average, you know, Catholic parish in the United States, um, there's not a whole, there's not usually a large black population. Um, you know, to some, it's a real, it doesn't take many words in, a, in order to be able to solve this problem, to be honest. Hmm. Um, if we treated this issue like a pro-life issue, uh, that it is, I think we can be well on our way to solving this crisis. Um, uh, pro-life, uh, for me, shouldn't be relegated to just uh, against abortion, uh, like it is most popularly um, um, uh, platformed, at least for a lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly does encompass it. And I don't think there's any particular pro-life issue that is more important than the other. Uh, there can't be. Just as sin is sin, sure there's venial, sure there's mortal, but it is still sin and it still affects the relationship with God. However, if racism is something that is enabling you even if it's very, very subtly, if it's just an idea or a thought that I am more superior than you, or you are more superior than, than me, or having to submit to that, or thinking that that person is not worthy of the particular gifts that I have, or shouldn't be around me simply because of his skin color, race, or creed, uh, that is a harmful, harmful approach to life. It leads to rashness, it leads to condemnation, uh, and how do you sustain life 
um, if you do not, if, if you harbor those kind of thoughts and sentiments. Uh, there's one kind of particular notion that I have in my head that uh, I think I'll continue to kind of sort of uh, expound on in my years, uh, in my future years as a priest. How can we protect the life that we don't see when we don't even value the lives that we do see, mm-hmm. that we're able to t- tangibly and physically see? And that's not to say that abortion is, again, the fight against abortion is not a valiant issue. It sure is. It's a huge issue. And probably by the numbers game, it outduels everything else. Mm-hmm. Sure. However, if we take every single issue of injustice and own it and say that that person must be accountable just as every single other person, period. If my brother went ahead and killed somebody, uh, and even if he was an officer, I'd say, hey, man, you should not have done that. You need to suffer the consequences. I love you, but it's a certain level of tough love uh, that must happen because that other person's life is valuable. That other person is a son or a daughter to somebody and a father or mother to somebody. Someone cares for that particular person. Yeah. Uh, and you must be accountable for your actions. So definitely accountability looking at this as a pro-life issue that it certainly is, um, and and holding up accountability in ourselves as individuals, even if we can't protest, even if you don't like to protest, even if, uh, like with physical demonstrations, um, if, if you were to hear uh, how maybe like you had beer with a cop and he did, he's bragging about what he did or didn't do, um, not like you guys will have that kind of company. Uh, it is important for us to look at our brothers in Christ or people that even look like us and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop. And in fact, you need to be persecuted uh, and suffer the consequences for your poor moral action. Not that there's any, that, not that there's no room for conversion, but kind of sort of owning that sin and yeah. asking for the grace to heal and move forward and develop and stop uh, and kind of start perpetuating that sin. Yeah. There's a certain thing about habitats, you know, it's the way we think. It's always in the little thing. Mm-hmm. We have to kind of sort of build upon. Uh, that's not to say that, uh, quite frankly, that, rice, uh, that only white people are racist. And that's absolutely false. If so, I wouldn't have had as good of a time in the woodlands. Uh, like I did have, right? Like this is a an, an issue that every aspect and walk of life kind of sort of experience. Um, it just so happens to be very, very prominent in the United States because of the history that uh, that kind of sort of, uh, that we found ourselves uh, at the back end of now. And yeah. unfortunately, yeah. it's come to the forefront. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting with um, thinking about like the European um issues that they have going over there like France one of the big slow slogans is France for the French on the on the far right because they have tons of immigrants that are coming into the country and many of them are Muslim and they're from poorer countries and they come in and they have such a radically different culture that they're not integrating well and the French don't want them to integrate well because they want them to be French not be you know uh, Saudi or Kuwaiti or whatever it might be and it's funny because in America, right, the, the African-American population are Americans, right? And it's not, and, and the, the weird thing is it's rooted in skin color. 
right? Like that's the craziness. It's like if the, if the immigrants came over to France, like in France, because of its relationship colonially to Monaco and Algeria, there's Al- uh, French Africans, right? And they are considered just as much French as anyone else. But in America, we still, even though your culture, even though I listen to your music and, you know, all this stuff and enjoy that, you know, that aspect of American culture, it, it, it is the, the history that came before and the, and the skin color, right, that creates these obstacles because culturally we're the same. You know, and it's so, I mean, obviously there are differences, but there, there's, it's so much of the Americana experience. I mean, well, the, that's the, the phrase that I think I was sharing with you. I, I saw yesterday, it was, I think it was a priest or somebody that referred to uh, racism is the original sin of yeah, America. Yeah. And I thought that was such a brilliant depiction, particularly when you talk about it from a, a Catholic theological perspective, because what is original sin for all of humanity? It's pride right? But when you take it down to the American level, how does pride manifest itself most in society? It's I am better than you uh, because of some false notion of skin color or something like that. It's all rooted out of pride and, and racism is just an extension of pride of that original sin for all of humanity. But for some reason, because of our history, it's so acute and so much more pronounced in America than it is in other parts of the world. Yeah, because of our inheritance. So I mean, it's a very, very difficult uh, topic to articulate, especially yeah. um, not even as us Catholics, but just human beings, right? Fortunately, we have natural law just to kind of sort of back up everything that we teach. Yeah. But and, and it's important to kind of sort of think on the same plane. So, like, what is Catholicism and what is its goal, right? It is, uh, for me, as I would like to expound, it's the, it's the ultimate way of life. It is the best way of life. It's not an elitist religion. It's not those for a certain skin color, right? It's not a just one particular cultural practice. It's yeah. all over the world, and it exists for the salvation of souls. Yeah. And it exists simply because of that brokenness, like you just mentioned, Stephen. Like this, it, it, it's an expansion of what original sin did. It allowed us, original sin kind of sort of took away our focus from God, right? And that whole knowing, wanting to know, no, no. Here you go. Here's all the knowing Mm -hmm. that you think you need, right? That we think we have. Uh, And it's not a knowing that is rooted in Christ, but rooted in myself based upon what I can see, think, touch, feel, all the senses, you name it. And in original sin, we're not thinking of, uh, a consequence of original sin is that we're not necessarily thinking about God first, we're thinking about ourselves. So our focus from turning to God is turned to ourself and we're just left to defend ourselves. It's a perpetual protection of ourselves, of our wants, of our needs instead of the others. Yeah. Like our original call is to love the Lord, to know the Lord, right? And to serve him. And in that service of him with the people that he made, if we're not doing that, and if we're busy trying to make sure we're, prosperous for the rest of our lives, right? That we get the perfect parking spot in the parish. If we're doing this, if we're above the other, if we're expounding upon our ego and saying, you know what, that person is stupid. I don't know what they're doing. They think they're smarter than me. All of that is sin and is a product of the original sin. So essentially racism and all all the consequences that we see of racism now is comes from the same source. It's just expressed in a different reality. Um, and you know, although sin, sin kind of sort of perpetuates itself, it builds, 
how can we as a society, particularly how can we as Catholics look to ourselves and be better? We kind of sort of have to attack the source. Like if, if I if if I ended up seeing that there was a cut on my hand and I, and I see just kind of sort of uh, my inside, the blood just kind of flowing, right? Am I looking to ask myself, um, what is the source? Who did this? Why was this done to me? Look at the rate of, of drop dropping that's occurring on my wrist, right? What would you do first? At least what's the most ideal thing to do? Stop the bleeding, right? Seal it, cover it, protect it, fix it. And then you can go about making sure that the problem doesn't happen again. Yeah. And that's kind of sort of what needs to happen with it. It's, it's all about self-examination uh, because um, um, an examined, only an examined life, a well-examined life is worth living. Why? Because it elevates us and it heals us onwards towards the perfect image uh, of God in which we are made in his image and likeness. Yeah. So I, I guess on a on a real more practical level, I guess, with what's going on specifically like this week, what do you say uh, to those that might be listening that are not sure what they should be participating in right now, right? Like some people think that Black Lives Matter, the movement itself is controversial. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to think about that. I don't, have a, I don't have enough knowledge personally, I think of the specific movement itself. You know, yesterday there was this thing, uh, Blackout Tuesday uh, on social media, particularly on Instagram, where everyone was, you know, blacking out their profiles with just a black box. And the idea behind it was so that African Americans could post what they want and be seen, right, to clear the feed out of anything so that, that African Americans had a voice. And at first, I wasn't sure, do I participate in this? Is this really going to make a difference? And even talked about it with my wife. Um, and I decided to participate in it at the end of the night. The reason, and only at the end of the night, because that's when I actually realized what was going on on social media. <laughs> but I kind of told, I told Anne, I was like, if I don't participate in this, I'm such a presence to people that follow me on social media with family and friends, then I am complicit in silence. Um, and so I decided to participate because I I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that makes sense. I want to give a voice right now. That's the most important thing we can do is listen. Um, what, do you, what do you make of all these different things that are happening right now with the protests, with the, the different movements? Now, are you what, participating? Yeah, are, you are you participating? Are you, are you encouraging people? What's your opinion of all that? It is uh, a, a very, it's a very difficult notion, right? Because you're dealing with people from all different walks of life, right? Uh, Catholicism, again, I mean, it's kind of sort of a way we expound it on. It's a way of life, but it's also not imposed, right? So just in case I do something different from Stephen uh, or from Gormley, that doesn't make your way of protesting any better than mine mm -hmm. or anything like that, right? We have to do what is within our capabilities, within our limits, within our reach, um, unless we're just kind of sort of ingenuous or chaotic, Um but you know, just to speak on, on Black Lives Matter, I know many people don't understand it, right? Um, and, and that's understandable. But here's the particular idea behind it. It's Black Lives Matter 2, T-O-O. -O. Uh, it's not that other, other lives of different eth other ethnicities don't matter. But why should we shine a light on Black Lives Matter? It's me going to my brother and saying, okay, why are you making that statement? 
you know, what is it that is making driving you so upset so as to make that statement, right? It's a method that we, we should use ideally in every argument, no matter who it is, every meeting, every debate, just to make sure that we are keeping up with the same respect uh, for each other and also offering up a level of care and humility and compassion, empathy for the other. So it's a Black Lives Matter too, because there's obviously been a level of injustice and divide and discrimination against them, particularly that a light needs to be shined upon. Uh, but also for those who have lived uh, in the United States, uh, who suffer, whose ancestors suffered slavery, uh, there is a, uh, maybe I'm not saying the term correctly, but I would say it anyways, like a psychosocial type development. Um, after years and years of, 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 of slavery, can you imagine what kind of being you're left with? Mm -hmm. um, you, you guys were uh, maybe um, in the midst of a guy who was a little bit more stable, right? I, If ever I needed to find out who my ancestors are, I can call my dad, yeah. right? And if my dad was to ever leave, I can fly back to Nigeria to the same village, mm -hmm. to the same plot of land. In fact, I can look at my own land, but I can know exactly where I came from. Uh, the African-American community cannot necessarily do that. Sure, there's all these gene tracing mechanisms or whatever yeah. have you, but they do not know. Yeah, so genetics ain't history. history. Yeah. Huh? Genetics ain't history. It's not the exactly. same thing as knowing your past. Yeah, Exactly. So there's an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. If we look at ourselves, the people who suffer um, uh, depression, who um, go under gender type difficulties or whatever have you, there is an identity crisis. People who uh, persist in sexual immorality, there is an identity crisis, not knowing who the father is and not being able to treasure themselves as God the Father does, right? So without that identity, how do you act properly? What kind of stability do you have in your life, right? How do you move forward in life when all your life, all of your existence, you have been seen to have to live in fear because of another person, right? So these riots and these protests that we do see, um, rioting is terrible. Looting is terrible. That is sin. It cannot be justified, right? But an avenue into looking towards the deeper problem, we can look at these rioting, we can look at these protests and say, okay, well, what's going on with that community? How can I help you? What is it that's the matter, right? Um, so protests um, don't work, and it's people have been protesting for years and years and years ad nauseum, right? What is the change, right? It's pure acknowledgement of the other. Um, many people are not um, uh, satisfied with Colin Kaepernick, um, who kind of sort of knelt. Um, it, no matter where you stand on the political divide, me as a Catholic man, me um, thinking of my Catholicism and approaching my Catholicism as something that I'm more proud of than being an American, right? Because it leads to my salvation, it leads to my ultimate goal. I'm thinking at that guy. Uh, whether I like the protest or stand that he took or did not take, um, what is the meaning behind that? I'm not asking about how it offended me. That's a consequence of original sin. 
how this offended me. It's not about me. It's about the other and what I can do to lend a helping hand to the other. So if people are finding various different ways of getting attention or getting acknowledgement or finding some type of, of way to, to um, express themselves and it doesn't seem to work, um, that you may see the product of rioting and, and yeah. even worse, looting, which is not a justification but it is an avenue in which we can say, okay, look, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, a great line in this uh, Christian rapper propaganda. Almost came on the Catching Foxes podcast, almost. But uh, he said, uh, he has this line where he says, it's a shame that no one listens until someone throws a Molotov cocktail, right? Like the idea of we're out here, we're demonstrating, we're being peaceful, we're doing all this stuff. And because we're not disrupting business as usual, no one cares, right? No one's listening. No one's paying attention. No changes are happening. You're not asking for my story. You're accepting a label. You're not coming to me. And then what happens is the, you, you can only be ignored for so long until you start shouting and until you start banging on the doors and until you start, you know, anger is a anger is virtuous when it's aimed at an injustice, right? Anger is not evil to be angry. It's not evil to be angry, but it is very easy. Aristotle talks about this St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this. It's very easy to be angry at the wrong object or at the right object for all the wrong reasons or at the right object for the wrong reason or for the right reasons with the wrong intensity or duration or whatever. And it's so easy for anger to get out of control. And the problem is, ever since the 24-hour news cycle has been invented, it is easier to get views, to get clicks, to get followers, to get show ratings when you make people angry. And so there, there is this constant drumbeat of division because it's easy to make people angry against the other as other. And it's easy to forget the other as another self. Like well, that, that was what was so interesting as these protests kind of ramped up this past weekend. Uh, you know, being someone that grew up in Atlanta yeah. and seeing that the heart of the the rioting and the looting in Atlanta started at the CNN Center. And the people at CNN couldn't fathom it. Why Why are yeah. they rioting? Why are they throwing windows at the CNN Center? We're the ones that throwing the windows? Boys, <laughs> throwing rocks at windows. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wasn't there. It's they, double pain. Yeah, they could have thrown windows. Uh, but, but why are they doing all this? Yeah. When, and they, they couldn't grasp it at CNN that I think that the African-Americans in Atlanta, they're tired of, of being a pawn even to the media. You know, they want, they don't want to just be a political pawn. It's, this is real life to that community. Um, and this is, they're, they're going to do whatever it takes. And, uh, it, it was interesting. You mentioned Houston, Colin Kaepernick, cause I saw, um, a lot of people that were very critical of him a few years ago this past week have kind of been saying, wow, you know, maybe we should have listened when he knelt. Uh, you know, and that's something that, I mean, the one thing about the kneeling that I keep reminding people is he's not walking around dropping F-bombs during the national anthem. It was a a sign of protest that was respectful of the national anthem saying there's a problem here. Right. And I I know a lot of people like, didn't he ask a military friend or something like that? Yeah. I mean, the military friend said, I went and fought so that you could do things like this. But, (laughs) but because we become political and by political Americans mean left and right. Political doesn't mean what you were talking about with the natural law of seeking the highest good as a community. The common good no longer has a place in American parlance. It's identity politics, and the right does it just as much as the left, but the left got their doctorate in identity politics, right? The right, you know, like we both do this thing where we we just slap a label 
and we dismiss. And we slap a label and we dismiss and we never replace that label with an actual story. And I mean, just the opening of you saying how nerd, like you have to come up with a game plan to come to the woodlands should at the very least give people here in the woodlands, including myself, pause, right? Like um, my buddy, Ikendola, who's also Nigerian, um, also born in the United States, but his parents are from Nigeria. They emigrated over. Um, he was saying that, uh, like within all of this, one of the happiest days of his life is when he went to the Bahamas. He was like in Jamaica, right? And he's walking around and he has all of his white friends, including his fiance, now wife at the time. And he, they went to a restaurant off the touristy path. And he, they are the only white people in the whole place. And they got up to leave and they left. And he just turned around and walked back, didn't tell anyone, sat down at the bar. And he just stayed there for like four hours. And when they would text me, he'd be like, I'm good. Just leave me alone. He said it was the first time where I didn't feel like I was the black friend to all these white people. I felt like I was just another person. And it's stuff like that that I never think about because I always feel like just another person. You know what's, you know? what's funny about that? And, and maybe this is uh, somewhere where I've needed to grow. But I used to work a lot with Ike when I worked at Life Teen. And I, I can't imagine how much he got tired of being like, the token African-American with Catholic was. circles. He's, and some people still treat him like that. Yeah. Um, but I remember when, I can't remember, I, I honestly don't remember which one of these police brutality situations it was, but we were on the road when one of them happened. And I started kind of expressing to me, you know, what you've just expressed to us today, Houston, about his experience. And I kind of like, I feel like I was combative, not combative, but almost dismissive of what he was sharing with me. And I, and, oh, you're fine. Yeah. Or, or I, I don't know. I mean, it was, and I didn't realize yeah. like how now, like thinking back on that, how much of a jerk I must have sounded like. And, and he's probably used to it, right? Like yeah. that's, he still sounds that way. Yeah. I still sound, I'm a jerk to everybody. But, <laughs> uh, but, but just that reality of not, not realizing again that acute sense of pain yeah. that he experiences or that most African American men in particular uh, experience in the community. So, um, what we're, we're rounding up, uh, you know, finishing out the hour, you really, uh, are very generous with your time and I know you're super busy there. Um, what are some, you know, last minute closing thoughts that you would give, yeah. uh, our parish, um, just to kind of think about just to just give them something else to think about. Right. I mean, within all of this, like what, what do you want to leave? And this with? isn't your final thoughts cause you will be at St. Anthony's at some point. Yeah. Uh, Celebrating we can't wait masses. to see you, uh, back on this side of town. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe just kind of, if I can remember them all, um, being extreme in anything, whether it's in politics, whether it's just being extremely liberal, extremely conservative, uh, words that I kind of sort of despise, by the way, or being extreme in anything else but Christ, who is the, who is the epitome of goodness and what is right and what is just, uh, is sinful. Because if you are extreme in Christ, it's not necessarily an imposition or an unguarded type passion that's just kind of sort of all over the place. But it welcomes gently everyone. It doesn't seek self-gratification or anything like that. And if we live life seeking self-gratification, seeking to justify uh, the wrongdoer, uh, then we don't live a life that is healthy. We don't appear to be genuine. We don't appear to be compassionate. Um, racism is very deep. Um, it's, you know, changing is very difficult. Like the simplest thing, even our daily tasks, it's hard to change. Sure. Uh, but none of us can live in fear, whether it's the police officer suspecting that the black man might do something, 
um, whether it's uh, me wondering, okay, if I'm going to get pulled over this time, um, and maybe I might have a little bit more sophisticated of a car. Is this guy going to check me? Is he going to question if I play football? That kind of thing. You know, we cannot live in fear. Yeah. All the rioting, all the looting is inappropriate, right? Because we cannot live in fear. But if we did extend a helping hand to one another, right? If we showed and mirrored what it means to be Christ-like in every single circumstance, uh, we'd be able to make a lot of, of bridges uh, in the world of today, um, no matter where you go. Awesome. Can, can, we, uh, can we close out? Uh, I, I didn't really prep you for this, but um, you're going to be a deacon in like four weeks, so might as well put you on the spot. Impromptu prayer time. <laughs> <laughs> will, you, uh, will you close us in prayer uh, however, you, however you see fit? And, and before we do that, uh, thank you. I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. Yeah. So last minute to, to say us. yes to this. Yeah. Last minute. Uh, thank you for your vocation and for saying yes to serving a church uh, that is in desperate need in a world that is in de- desperate need. Um, and most of all, I think, thank you for being a friend to Gomer and I. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you guys are awesome. Agreed. Thank you all so much for what you stand for. You stand for goodness. And I hope you continue to, uh, uh, to be just moral standards of what it means to show forth life, right? It's really needed now. Amen. Take us home. Let's do it. In the name of our Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God of all, we thank you so much for this day and the opportunity and ability to express the words of our hearts, to express and discuss the, uh, the times that we live in. And every time and every season, you provide for our needs through your providential care. We ask that you shine forth the light of grace upon us that we may heal from all of our wounds for all the things that we don't know that are wounds and that we may be elevated onto, onto your love, onto what it means to be Christ. May we continue to grow in wisdom and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we may be whole persons, persons able to share the love of Christ um, without bias and with justice in our hearts. Continue to shine forth your light upon us in these times that we may uh, continue to grow and that we may see that light in which you have asked us to serve in. For all things are served and all things are done in your name. Um, So continue to help us in these times. Continue to bless us. Continue to open our hearts that we may surrender our will to yours. All these things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. Anthony of Padua. Pray for, Pray us. for us. All right. Thanks, Houston. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you, guys. All right. Adios.